Dr. Luis Sandoval is accomplished in the fields of mental health and spiritual warfare. A medical doctor, board certified in neurology, psychiatry, and family medicine, he is also a psychiatrist for the Roman Catholic Diocese of Orange, Ministry of Healing and Deliverance. Now, Dr. Luis Sandoval. All right, folks, well, welcome to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You are listening to the Dr. Luis Sandoval Show. Hope you're doing well out there today. Let's get started here at the top of the noon hour with the Regina Celli prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Queen of heaven, rejoice, alleluia, for he whom you did merit to bear, alleluia, has risen as he said, alleluia. Pray for us to God, alleluia. Rejoice and be glad, O Virgin Mary, alleluia, for the Lord is truly risen, alleluia. Let us pray. O God, who gave joy to the world through the resurrection of thy Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, grant we beseech thee that through the intercession of the Virgin Mary, his mother, we may obtain the joys of everlasting life through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, folks. Well, here we are, still in the Easter season, praying the Regina Celli at noon instead of uh, the Angelus, which we normally pray. <clears throat> it's really beautiful prayers that, that we, uh, you know, consider Our Lady, uh, that we venerate Our Lady. Obviously, as Catholics, we don't worship Our Lady, but we venerate Our Lady. Why, you ask, why? Because Our Lady was created specially for the coming of Christ, and that's why she deserves to be venerated. God made her in such a way that she was conceived without sin, she was a perfect vessel to carry Christ, to bring Christ into the world for us. And what is so important about this? What do I love about the fact that how does the Easter season end? It ends with Pentecost, right? What's going on with Pentecost? Everybody remembers the apostles were scared. You know, our Lord, uh, after the ascension, they didn't know exactly what to do. So it's interesting for us as Catholics to consider that the apostles themselves who were with Christ didn't know what to do after he left. If we've ever felt that way, it's important to consider that we're in good company. In fact, we're in the same company as people who have who actually saw the Lord. That's something we're going to talk about in today's show. Uh, but when it comes to the Holy Spirit, what's so important about venerating Our Lady, about uh, recognizing who Our Lady is, I think one of the most important things that we can recognize is the fact that the Holy Spirit is the spouse of Our Lady. How was she? How was Christ conceived? When we go back to praying the Angelus, it's the very first, uh, the very first line of the prayer there, uh, right? The angel declared unto Mary, and she conceived of the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit that allowed that to happen. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. Christ tells us that it was the Holy Spirit that brought him from death to life. Uh, why was he resurrected? He said the power of the Holy Spirit. When we invoke the Holy Spirit, do we think to invoke the Holy Spirit? Do we remember the Holy Spirit in our prayers? Sadly, uh, a lot of times people will, sometimes we refer to the Holy Spirit as uh, the forgotten person of the Trinity, right? So we always think of God the Father, we think of God the Son, we think of Jesus Christ, but do we, do we stop and think about the Holy Spirit, who the Holy Spirit is in our lives, and how we're supposed to uh, invoke the Holy Spirit, pray to the Holy Spirit, uh, the third person of the Trinity? It is an interesting situation. Why do I bring this up? Well, Dr. Sandoval, why do you care about the Holy Spirit? You're a physician. You treat people. You treat people with mental illness. What does the Holy Spirit have anything to do with this? I mean, obviously, Christ is the healer, the second person of the Holy Spirit, the Son. We read the Gospels. He healed 
shouldn't that be your inspiration? Well, sure, absolutely. You know, I think about I think about God in general. I think about the Trinity in general. Um, whenever I'm practicing, whenever I'm talking to people, whenever we're helping people out. But what does the Holy Spirit have to do with any of this? I think this is where the important part comes into our lives, and and we're going to talk about how can we invoke the Holy Spirit. How can we most efficiently use the Holy Spirit in our lives? Because when it comes to healing, a lot of people want to heal. We have a lot of pain. We feel broken. We feel broken in so many different ways. It can hurt uh, sometimes. You know, we don't know what to do with ourselves. We feel like God doesn't love us anymore. We feel like, why should anybody else love us? We feel like, why should I love myself? This is where the Holy Spirit comes in. The Holy Spirit helps us discern. It helps us. The Holy Spirit helps us to be inspired and to understand. To give you an example, when I'm talking to somebody, whether it be somebody in the prison population, whether it be somebody in the community, I need to stop and ask myself, what is it that I'm treating? What is it that that came through the door here? Who is it that I'm talking to? What's the right medication to give this person? Sure, I can go to the books and look at what the books say and use the rubric and try to uh, figure out, gosh, if this person is suffering from depression, let's give them this pill. This person, person suffering from anxiety, let's give them this pill. But it's not always the case because the books will tell you one thing, but then we need to know how to apply that in life. And really, that's where I think the Holy Spirit comes in. You know, we go, we read the Gospels, we look at the Old Testament, we look at the New Testament, and we look at all these different things that are going on. We look at the different ways that God uh, is inspiring us as people, whether it be uh, God the Father in the Old Testament where he's talking to Moses, giving us the commandments, the incarnation, God the Son, in the New Testament as we read about in the Gospels. But remember, technically right now, we are in the age of the Holy Spirit. So this is where all of a sudden we say, well, what does that mean? Remember Jesus said, I'm going to leave you, but as I leave you, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to be here, but I'm going to send the paraclete, the helper, the Holy Spirit. He's the one who's going to help us understand a lot of different things. And on top of that, what do we see with the Holy Spirit? What can the Holy Spirit do for us? This is where I bring up Our Lady, because the reality is sometimes we can get confused or we can wonder, well, what's the Holy Spirit doing? What, how do I, what, what do I expect from the Holy Spirit? That's a real question. You know, what's the Holy Spirit going to do in my life? I know that Christ can do miracles, right? I, we, we know that Christ is the one who brought people back their eyesight. Christ was the one who expelled demons. Christ was the one who changed people's hearts. But what does the Holy Spirit do for us? The Holy Spirit inspires us to understand what direction to go in. The Holy Spirit inspires us to understand who to, uh, who to turn to for help or the right word to say. Remember, this can be kind of interesting, but when, we, uh, when we're before the throne of God, what does Jesus say? He says, when you're there, don't say a word. Don't say anything. The Holy Spirit's going to tell you what to say. Why? Because it's the ultimate truth. But let's look at how this works. You know, I'll give you an example of how this works in my own life when I'm, you know, helping people out, when I'm thinking about what to do. One time there was a patient I had who came in. They were probably in their, I want to say, early 30s, early to mid 30s. And it was a gentleman. He came in and, and he was really, if you saw him off the bat, if anybody saw this gentleman come in, you know, you would think he was depressed. And he was a nice, nice young man, you know, Caucasian. He was well-dressed. 
it was a uh, you know nice shirt, uh, collar shirt, slacks. Came into the office and sat down. But as, as soon as he came in, I mean, you saw this guy. He he was walking. Even the way he walked down the hallway to the office, he just was not in a good place. He would come in and he would just kind of drag his feet. He sat down. He didn't just sit down. He slumped over. And so you're seeing somebody who slumped over. He's, his eyes. It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't that he was crying per se. But he looked like a man who had been crying. If you've ever seen that type of picture where you look at somebody and you're you're thinking, this guy's upset about something. He is just depressed. He is not doing well. Uh, And it's looking like he's in a sad place. Now, there's a few things we can do, a few things that might might be uh, elicited in people as far as their emotions or feelings. Uh, A lot of times we see somebody like this and we think, I need to get away from this person. They're bringing me down. That's probably the majority of people. The majority of people will say, no, this person's bringing me down. I don't like how they're making me feel because just even being around them, they have this aura of negativity, this aura of, you know, gosh, it's not going to be a good day. And I don't want to be around this. It's important to consider this because when we see people this way, this is where I think the Holy Spirit has to inspire us. In fact, if I saw this person outside of my office, I might be thinking the same thing. I might think I don't have time to, to feel down right now. So one of the things to consider is where's the Holy spirit guiding me here? Because now I'm, I'm his physician though. I'm in a, I'm in a different mindset. I'm in a different place. Imagine you're the doctor for a second there and somebody comes in and they look that way. I think it'd be very easy and very quick for us to say, Oh, this person's depressed. Let's just give them this medication. Right. But the reality is we got to stop them. We got to do an interview. So yeah, I'm doing the assessment as soon as the person walks in, but I got to do this interview. And so he came in, he sat down, he did not look good. I want you to think about this when you, when you see people around us in life, um, we make judgments and rightfully so it's human nature. In fact, it's a survival trait to make judgments because I got to ask myself every time I'm walking around in public, anytime I'm, uh, in a waiting area, if I go to sit at the bus depot and wait for a bus, or if I'm in the airport waiting to get on a plane, I'm calculating, I'm looking at who's around and I'm trying to get an idea of who they are. I'm not trying to judge them or stereotype, you know, this is not about what culture they are or or necessarily the uh, style of clothes they're wearing, although that is going to play a role. But really what I'm doing here is I'm trying to discern, is this person safe or not? That's the most important part. Honestly, in our very gut instinct, um, we're looking at safety. That's nature. Nature tells us you got to stay safe. So as we're walking around in public, we're looking at safety. Believe me, in the, in the clinic, imagine yourself, you're the, you're the physician, you're the doctor, and on top of that, you're a psychiatrist. So you're seeing people who might not be mentally stable. And they come into your office, and all of a sudden, you got to decide, there's a safety issue here as well. You know, what am I discerning here? What am I looking at? At this point, this is how I, I use the Holy Spirit. I sit down, and I look at the situation, and I say, come Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of thy faithful. Come Holy Spirit. It's pretty much all I say. You know, at that moment, I don't have time to, Tell this gentleman, well, hang on one second. I'm going to turn to the side here and I'm going to get into a, a full-on Holy Spirit chant. Don't have time to do that. But in this particular case, he looks so down, so dejected. I wasn't sure what I was dealing with. It did not seem like it was going to be a pleasant conversation and I could not read the guy. This was getting a little bit, um, I wasn't entirely scared at first, but it was, you know, I was sitting down, I was judging uh, from a medical perspective, who is this person? But I really need to help the Holy Spirit on this hear more about the stage when we come back from the break.
All right, folks. Well, welcome back to Virgin Mouse Powerful Radio. You are listening to the Dr. Louis Sandoval Show. Today's show, we are talking about the Holy Spirit. Why? Because we are on the cusp of Pentecost. And I think a lot of times we don't really understand how the Holy Spirit's going to help us out in our lives. This, this is an important thing to consider uh, because I think it's the least thought of person of the Trinity in terms of we don't think of the Holy Spirit as a person. And I don't think that we really understand how the Holy Spirit's going to help us. And I say we because I don't always understand it either. You know, sometimes we get these images of the extremes where we say, you know, gosh, these people go to the Pentecostal church. If, any, if you've ever had a friend who's Pentecostal, I had one in college. And they helped me understand that, you know, they're speaking in tongues and things of that nature in their church, which might be very foreign to anybody who just goes to a, uh, you know, Roman liturgy and Eastern liturgy. I enjoy the Byzantine liturgy and the Roman liturgy. They're both uh, wonderful traditions in our church. But we're not used to somebody all of a sudden breaking out and speaking in tongues or uh, having these kinds of gifts, which the church recognizes as an actual gift. Um, but we're not exactly sure where does the Holy Spirit come in. And I think that it's important to consider the fact that if you've been confirmed and if you haven't and you're already an adult, I suggest you, you, you really look into it because it's one of the sacraments of initiation, confirmation, where we get the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit a little bit later on in the show. But really, we're going to talk about the gifts. I wanted to talk about this, uh, um, this case I had first because I think sometimes it makes more sense uh, when we see the God in action, the Holy Spirit in action, you know. So before we before the break, I was talking about a, a situation where I had to see a patient, I had to make a decision, and it was a very, very challenging situation. Um, but I had to call on the Holy Spirit because I wasn't going to be able to figure it out on my own. So where did we leave off? We had a gentleman who came in, he was in his early 30s, he was a very nice guy, you know, nice Caucasian gentleman. Uh, just give you the background because as doctors, that's what, that's what we do, you know, this person is Hispanic, Caucasian, whatever the situation is, um, because it gives us an understanding, especially the psychiatrist culture is a very, very big deal. Um, so this gentleman comes in, but he's not looking good. He's kind of dragging his feet down the hallway. His eyes have these really dark circles where either he's been crying, he's not sleeping, something's off, um, but he comes in for help. And normally, you know, anybody would say, well, Dr. Sandoval, this is a slam dunk case for depression. Let's get out that prescription pad and go ahead and just take care of this guy. But he comes in, he sits down, he slumps down. I haven't met him yet, but there's this aura. There's a, a sense in the air that things are heavy, uh, different from depression. Now, keep in mind, I see people with depression all the time. And just because somebody's depressed, it doesn't always affect me directly, especially as a psychiatrist. I come in, I look at the situation uh, and, uh, the, you know, they sit down in my room and I say, okay, it looks like they're depressed, but I write them a prescription. I listen to the story. I empathize. I try to see what, where their life is to see what the right prescription would be for them. And I think that that's fine and dandy. You know, it's kind of our bread and butter. Uh, I never assume I understand the person completely, but I understand where kind of where my treatment plan is going to go. In this case, it was a little bit different. It was like he came in, he sat down and I was along for the ride with him. You know, if you've ever been, in a room with somebody where all of a sudden, whatever they're experiencing, you're experiencing, you're in touch with it. Uh, I wouldn't say that it was scary, but it was more a feeling of, 
okay, I'm tapping into this guy's situation and he's bringing in this dark cloud into this room. You know, um, in Spanish, we have a very common saying that we say, que demonio traes, which means, what demon do you have with you? Uh, because it's kind of like, well, what's going on with you? Where, why are you so off emotionally or spiritually? Uh, and it's very common, you know, in the, in the Hispanic culture, if you're in the Latin American culture, talking about spirituality and demons and possession is very, very common. But that was kind of the feeling I got with this gentleman as he sat down. Not necessarily they had a demon about him, but there was a general aura. Wasn't sure what it was. So we started the interview. We started talking. And he was okay, but he just kept looking down. Now, this is where a lot of people tell me, Dr. Sandoval, do you get scared uh, when you interview patients? You know, you're, you work in the jail system. You're among uh, prisoners, some pretty, some pretty serious prisoners. You're pretty, uh, or who have done some people who've done some pretty serious things uh, or who... Uh, have some very serious mental illness, probably the most serious mental illness you're going to see anywhere. Uh, and does that scare you? And I say, you know, not always. It just depends. Uh, what's scary, they say, what, what, what does it look like? And I say, well, what, what, how would you feel if there was somebody in the corner talking to themselves and flailing their arms and just making gibberish and not making sense? And would that scare you? And most people say, yeah, that'd be kind of freaky. And I say, well, that's what scares me the least. Because when I see that, I think, okay, I know what I'm dealing with here. This person's not well. They're going to need medication. And I know, I, I know what I'm dealing with. I know what the, I already have an idea of how to treat them, how to approach them even, because I see where their uh, actions are and where they're headed with things. It's usually when they're quiet, when they're not saying anything, when they're sitting back and you need to approach them and you cannot get a read on them at all. You know, that's what kind of what we call either the quiet psychotic or really restricted affect, as we say in our in our practice. Those are the ones where I say, okay, now I'm a little bit scared because I have no idea what I'm dealing with. I don't know if he's going to try to hurt somebody or not. And that's where this gentleman was. Now, this wasn't in a, in a serious hospital. He wasn't a serious criminal or anything like that. He was just in my clinic, slumped over in his chair, um, what anybody would say, oh, this is a pretty basic case, but he had almost a heaviness around, I don't want to say darkness, but he had a heaviness around him. There was like, the air was heavy. Like the room was heavy. Like, like you leave there almost like you got really bad news or something. You know, he comes in, um, almost like somebody told you that there was a, your loved one was in a serious car accident or something, that kind of heaviness. And so I'm watching him he comes in, he sits down and I say, we'll call him Tom and say, Hey Tom, how are you doing? Um, I'm Dr. Sandoval, and this is the first time I met this gentleman. Nice to meet you. Uh, what can I do for you today? What's going on? And he just kind of kept shaking his head. He had his head down. He was shaking his head, shaking his head. Wasn't looking at me now. No eye contact or not very good eye contact, kind of just flashes where he looked up just to kind of look around the room. Um, but uh, I said, what's going on? And he just kind of shaking his head. And I, I remember saying, you know, take your time, but uh, I want to help you out. And if I if, if uh, you're not able to tell me how you're feeling, I'm not going to be able to help you out. Um, and he just said, I, I'm just not feeling good. I said, well, you came to the right place. You're not feeling good. And then all of a sudden, his hand slid down. And from his pocket, he takes out a knife. It was probably like a three to four inch knife. I mean, it, it was like a, you know, picture. It wasn't, it wasn't like a little pocket. It wasn't your Swiss army knife. This was a, a big knife. And he takes it out and he's holding it in his hand. And he says, and he didn't say anything. He just kind of holds it, but he's wanting me to read what's going on. So he's wanting me to say, okay, he wants me to come to a conclusion at this point, folks, this is where it gets a little bit scary. This is where I'm saying, okay, there's a darkness in the room. 
He takes out this knife. There's a knife in the room. And all of a sudden, I don't know what he's going to do with it. He's now holding it in a position where he's going to, you know, looks like he's going to leap in my direction or anything like that. But now we've introduced a weapon. And now is when I say, come Holy Spirit. Because I say, what am I going to do in this situation? Gentleman sitting down, looking depressed, not sure exactly what his thoughts are. They're starting off the interview and he pulls out a knife. Well, what would you do in this situation? I mean, this is where, I think this is where we say, you know, it was the Holy Spirit who guided me. It was the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that I was able to manage the situation because at this point, I'm not sure what to do. So what do I do? He pulls out the knife and I just say, and now there's chills going down my spine. Don't get me, don't get me wrong. I'm scared as a person. And I don't know where this came out of, but I do because I'm telling you it was the Holy Spirit. But I say, hey, that's a nice knife. Do you like to go hunting? What's going on? You know, and we started talking about knives. And he says, no, this is, I said, what kind is it? What brand is it? And all of a sudden things shifted in the room. Now, normally I would say, what are you doing with this knife? You got to drop it. Let's call security. Let's get out of this room. But as soon as I said, Hey, that's a nice knife. What brand is it? Do you, do you like to go hunting? It looks, it's sort of like a big hunting knife. I mean, it, it, to me, it would look, it was three to four inches, but to me, it looked like it was probably like a foot long, you know, in that moment, because I don't know what he's going to do, but I was inspired. It, it just kind of came out of me. It, it was just a situation where I said, Hey, that's a nice knife. What brand is it? It changed everything in the room. It changed that heaviness. I asked him, a little bit about is this a hobby knife for you what is it because it didn't look like your typical knife anyway and he kind of just said no it's a you know it, he was kind of turned in on himself and at that point he kind of said no it's uh he told me what brand it was i don't remember what brand it was but he told me what brand it was and he said no this knife is particular for it wasn't for hunting it was for woodwork i don't remember what type it was either all i remember is that it changed everything it changed his focus on his own slumped self and outside of himself. It changed into, hey, this is what this knife's about. Let me tell you a little bit about it. Um, you know, and it turns out, and I said, wow, that's pretty, do you have a lot of different knives? Started getting into the idea of what his hobbies were. And then just to lighten the air, as we say, I said, gosh, you know, if I had that many knives, I'd just become a butcher. And I don't remember what he did for his profession, but he started laughing. And as soon as we started having that conversation, he was laughing, he was putting, you know, we were able to talk and everything shifted, everything changed. And I, and at that point I said, okay, so what's going on? Why'd you bring the knife in? Did you just want to show it to me? And very casually, I said, did you feel like hurting yourself? Were you going to hurt somebody else? And he said, you know, I'm not even sure. He said, it's just, I had it with me and I took it out. He goes, I have thought about hurting myself, but I'm not sure what I was going to do with it. And the more we started talking, the more it turned out that he wasn't exactly, I mean, he was, he was going through a depression, but he wasn't exactly clinically depressed. He was actually lonely, believe it or not. That's what came out of this whole, of this whole interview. You know, he's got this knife in front of him. We're talking about it. We're talking about the different knives that he has. Um, and as we're talking, he kind of started chuckling a little bit, felt a little bit lighter. And I, you know, I asked him, do you feel like you're going to hurt yourself or not? Do you feel like this is like you're safe? He said, yeah, I'm safe. He said, you know, the thoughts come through my mind. And, um, and I said, but why do you carry the knife then? Why is, is this something you always carry? 
He goes, sometimes, once in a while, I carry it with me. And so I started asking him, are you scared? Are you, uh, you know, do you feel like you need protection? Do you feel like you want to hurt somebody? Why would somebody carry a knife around? I'm asking him the regular depression questions too. Do you feel depressed? How often do you think about hurting yourself? Do you have a plan? Oddly enough, when he said that, sometimes he thought about hurting himself, it wasn't with a knife. And this guy had a few knives, but it wasn't with a knife. So as we're talking and I'm trying to figure out, well, where are we going to go with this? What am I going to treat here? Turns out, yeah, he's feeling kind of lonely. He's not sure about a lot of things in life. And believe it or not, the knife for him is like a friend. It's like a security blanket, not from the dangers of the world, but almost like a little kid who carries a little blanket around or who's sucking on their pacifier for soothing. Just having a knife like that uh, for him in particular was, was very soothing. So as we got talking a little bit more, um, I realized, hey, he doesn't want to hurt anybody. I told him, well, I, I understand why you're carrying the knife. You're not going to hurt anybody with it. You're a knife collector. They mean something a little bit different to you. But why don't you put it away? Why don't you go ahead and we'll talk about how you're feeling and about how we're going to go on with your treatment. Very important distinctions to me that I would not have thought about on my own. I not been by the whole Spirit in that moment. We're going to let you know how the story ends when we come back from the break. All right, folks, well, welcome back to Bridge Most Powerful Radio. You are listening to the Dr. Lee Sandoval Show. Today, we're talking about the Holy Spirit. we got Pentecost coming up around the corner. And really, what does it mean to us as Catholics? Do we really employ and use the Holy Spirit as much um, as we could? Do we really understand it? I'll be honest with you. When uh, I was confirmed, you know, in, in high school, I didn't understand what confirmation was. I know that people kept saying, Oh, you know, it's a sacrament of maturity. It's because uh, we're waiting until you're in high school so that you be confirmed because it's it's your choice now to be Catholic. Um, you know, your parents made the choice for you at baptism. You didn't have that. And so now you get to pick and choose. And, and now you're making this decision for yourself to be Catholic. Well, I'll be quite honest with you. That's a bunch of malarkey. I'd throw that out the window because the only reason any of the kids were there is because their parents were making them. At that point, for the most part, I don't know any of the kids who were there because they were saying, wow, I really understand confirmation and I'm so inspired by our Catholic education. Because quite frankly, I'll be honest with you, I went to Catholic school uh, my whole life, all through high school. And I can't say that the Catholic component of the education was superior or, or you came out with a better understanding of Catholicism, um, mostly because a lot of the teaching on the religion was, was, wasn't even required believe it or not, religion class was just kind of, whether you got an A, a B, a C, it didn't really matter uh, because it it didn't matter for academics. At the end of the day, you're going to school and you got to make sure that you're making all your academic credits and moving on to the high school. And then high school, they're just preparing you for college. So you got to make those credits and colleges don't really look at religion. So I got to say the religion classes were not exactly, um, as an adult now that I look at our religion, that I look at our, our faith and what I want my children to understand about the faith. Definitely not coming from the school or the, it really depended on the teacher, but for the most part, you know, you're taking a Bible study and what do they teach you? You got to memorize the books of the Bible. It wasn't even like, (laughs) it wasn't even like, let's look at the biblical stories. It was not necessarily inspired by the Holy Spirit. Let's just say that. But I look at this because we look at the sacrament of confirmation and do we ever go back and ask ourselves, Hey, when I got confirmed, there's supposed to be seven gifts of the Holy Spirit. Do I still remember what those seven gifts are? 
does it really matter? Does the does the church sit down and remind us of it? Does anybody sit down and actually teach us about it? Because what I recall when I got confirmed is they said, here are the seven gifts, know the definitions, take a quick Scantron test. Okay, you know what they are? Let's get you confirmed. That was pretty much what I recall. There wasn't a, a much of a sense of, let me tell you who the Holy Spirit is. Let me tell you how our Lord was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you how our Lord resurrected from the grave, as he said, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you about what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. In fact, let's explore this whole idea that Jesus said, I'm leaving, but I'm not leaving. I'm bringing, I'm leaving the Holy Spirit for you. You know, where is that in our uh, education, in our, in our thought process, um, when it comes to the Holy Trinity? We think about the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, and I think that's kind of about it, you know, for the most part. The rest of the year, I don't know that we talk about the Holy Spirit much. I mean, we read the Gospels, we focus on Christ because we read the Gospels, and that's great. There's absolutely no reason not to. I mean, I think we're doing a, a, a great job about focusing on Christ, but I think when, and, and God the Father, of course, you know, every time we go to Mass, the offering is for God the Father, right? Through Him, within Him, and in Him, and the unity of the Holy Spirit, do we Pay attention to that part when the priest elevates the host, elevates the chalice in the unity of the Holy Spirit. This is where we got to remember everything that's happening around us is because of the power of the Holy Spirit. But who is the Holy Spirit really? The Holy Spirit represents the love between the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit is the love of God that is so powerful that it's personified. The Holy Spirit is what we talk about and refer to when we get married and we say the love of the spouse uh, to the other spouse, and the, the love of the husband and the wife, uh, their love is so powerful that God made it so that through the physical intimacy of marriage, all of a sudden we end up with a third person. And every person, we look at, the, everybody's got a mom and a dad somewhere, regardless of where you are in life, we got a mom and a dad, and we are the represent, representation of that love. This is why it's so important. This is why you know, when the church says, oh, save sex for marriage, uh, this is what's so important about it is because there's some very big love consequences to intimacy. The biggest love consequence is you're going to have a personified, there's a potential for the personification of your love for each other. And if you really don't love this person, then this, what's going to happen to this personified love that just, that just came out? What's going to happen to this child? What's going to happen to this child that you just conceived? These are questions that we need to ask ourselves that we don't usually think about in terms and framing them in terms of the Holy Spirit. But back to my case, where I was trying to help this gentleman out, comes into my clinic looking despondent, pulls out a pretty big knife, and it turns out that he's a knife collector. It was the Holy Spirit that inspired me to not freak out. I'll be honest with you, that was not me at all. Dr. Sandoval is not always cool as a cucumber. You know, it's not like I sit there and I think, ah, bring anything my way, no problem. No, I have a real sense of preserving my life. You know, somebody comes and they pull out a knife. I'm thinking, we got a problem here. Normally, I'll be honest with you folks, normally in that situation, as soon as a person pulled out a knife, I would have gotten up, opened my door, which was the door was behind me and the, the patient was at the end, other end of the room. Uh, would have gotten up, opened my door, had somebody call security right away. No questions asked. Let's get this guy out of here. Let's, let's uh, pat him down, see if there's any other weapons. I didn't get that sense. I mean, I, again, there was a sense of heaviness in the room but I didn't get the sense of fear until I saw the knife. I felt the fear as a person, but my body didn't react. If I can explain it that way, it was like, um, it was almost surreal internally. I thought this is a really bad situation. Externally, the words I said, 
the fact that I said, hey, that's a nice knife. Who makes it? Normally, I would think, oh, my goodness, I'm, I'm a dead man. But the reality is that wasn't me, if, if that makes sense. I was inspired by the Holy Spirit. You know, we talk a lot about deliverance and we talk about um, people, seeing people possessed and seeing people, you know, do things that they normally wouldn't do. The body's possessed now. And so the person's levitating or they're twisting in a certain way. They're contorting in a certain way. We see that all the time. And we say that person's under the influence of something demonic. Well, the reality is if we can be influenced by something in the spiritual world, why can't we be influenced by something positive? Why can't we be influenced by the Holy Spirit? At that moment, I would dare say I was possessed by the Holy Spirit. I was possessed in a sense, in a, in a good way. The Holy Spirit inspired me. I was used as a vessel, if you will. Or the Holy Spirit let me know. He knocked on my brain. He said, say this, because this is going to change things. You know, it's like private revelation, you know, as people say. In that moment, I felt the Holy Spirit working through me and saying, don't freak this guy out. Don't worry about the knife. I know you're scared. But what you're going to say is you're going to ask him about the knife, and that's going to change everything. And it did. I couldn't do that on my own. That's not necessarily something psychiatric. They don't ever tell you, hey, doc, when you walk into a room and it feels dark and heavy, this is what you should say. It's not in the chapters, folks. It's not in the books. That was the Holy Spirit. That was strictly inspiration of the Holy Spirit saying, hey, say this. It's going to change things. And it's going to change things for the better. Because what happened to this gentleman? How did he walk out of the office? I didn't get to remember he was a knife collector. This guy had a ton of knives. I could have had security come in and taken that knife and he would have gone home to whatever other knives he had. He wasn't saying he was going to hurt himself at that time. Couldn't hold them, um, you know, necessarily against his will or hospitalize him. It wasn't going to be part of the treatment plan. What we did instead was we sat down, we chatted, we talked and got him to laugh a little bit. It lightened the mood. The room became lighter. It's how do you, how do you explain that? You've been there. I'm sure we've all been there before where either the room, you know, you're talking about scary stories and, and the room gets heavy and scary or you're watching a certain movie, or you go to a comedy show and people are laughing in the room and it's a very light feeling. The room became lighter like that. It became, it, it, the mood became such that we could have a conversation. He was able to think clearly. And how did he leave there? Our conversation ended up showing me that he was just a lonely guy. He carried a knife around like a buddy. You remember, he's a knife collector. To some people, they might say, no, that's weird. No, but if you're a collector of something, you know, people collect different things. People collect uh bugs people collect coins people collect different things you might have a special one that you carry around with you you know i enjoy playing cards playing playing card decks different backings they're kind of fun doing magic for my kids sometimes i'll carry a deck around uh, just in case so there's things like that what inspires you in this particular case though with this gentleman he was able to go home and what we ended up talking about was this he didn't have much going on in his life he wasn't particularly religious he didn't have uh, much family around. He came from a broken family and he never felt good about himself. He never felt like he mattered. He never felt like people cared about him. He never felt important. He never felt uh, like, like, it was more like, why did God make me? He wasn't depressed. He was able to go to work. He was able to uh, function slow, albeit, you know, and I think he was, he probably was a little bit more slumped over because he was coming to the clinic, but when he went to work, you know, he'd, he'd get his, he'd get his work done. He functioned okay, but he was pretty recluse. He was kind of by himself. And all he did, he, he had this hobby of collecting knives. So we came up with this plan. And I said, well, gosh, there's got to be some kind of clubs or something where 
other people are into knives or something similar, whatever it is that you're into. And then we talked a little bit about magic and throwing knives and how, you know, you get, you see those magicians where they spin people on a board and they throw knives their way. And so we talked about that. We, we joked a little bit and he actually did that. So he came back to see me and he actually was able to go to find some kind of a club where he met people. He was a whole different person, probably by about the third or fourth visit where he didn't need medication. He was now inspired. He was around other people. He didn't have that in his life. He didn't have that human connection. It's another thing to consider. That's how God made us. We're social creatures. We can't get around that. If we don't have that human connection, it's not going to work. The Holy Spirit is a representation of that. Notice the Holy Spirit comes out of love, the love of the Father and the Son, the love of spouses, the love we have for each other as Catholics. That's what brings about a Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in particular the love of the Father and the Son. That's the Holy Spirit. What better love than the source of love? God is love. That's where all love comes from. So that's where the Holy Spirit comes from. My, I honestly believe in that moment, I was inspired by the Holy Spirit to say that, to bring this guy back to life. You know, when we talk about death and life, we can look at the Bible and, and we go back to Genesis and the serpent told Eve, you're not going to die. Well, it depends on what kind of death we're talking about, a physical death you know, versus a spiritual death. This gentleman had definitely a spiritual death. And what brought him back to life? It was the Holy Spirit. It wasn't me at all. Yeah, I might have been a vehicle where I was the one who spoke the words to him. But I can honestly tell you, I would not have thought to say that normally. Would not have been uh, the normal process, situation. And that's where the Holy Spirit works in our lives. We come back from the break. I want to look at the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit that we might not always think about and see, do they apply to this case and how do they apply to our lives? Because I think that we need to be inspired and use the Holy Spirit more after the break. All right, folks, welcome back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You are listening to the Dr. Louis Sandoval Show. Today, we're talking about the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit can work in our lives. The thing is, it's so subtle yet so powerful. When it happens, it's amazing. If you were listening earlier, you heard my story about how I was inspired to get out of a pretty, what could have been a pretty sticky situation, but honestly, it wasn't through my own understanding. It was literally the Holy Spirit who, who guided me through that and helped me know what to say. You know, this has happened to me before in different ways, not necessarily me, but I can tell sometimes where the Holy Spirit's working through a priest, where I see it the most, quite frankly, is whenever I've gone to confession and all of a sudden the priest says something that there's no way he would have known uh, to say, or he, he doesn't know how it impacted my life, or it made something make so much more sense for me in my life where I'm going to confession. This priest doesn't know me, but the words that he say transform me in that moment or help me understand something. That's the Holy Spirit at work. You know, this is where we see the Holy Spirit is real. The Holy Spirit's always working, but can we see it or not? Well, I'll tell you what, folks, let's look at the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit. Let's see how they apply in our lives. And I'll share with you if I think that I'm inspired in any way as far as how did any of these things work in that situation I was in. found this nice article uh, from Catholic Answers, so it comes from a Catholic source. And it says this, uh, as far as the Holy Spirit, uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, these gifts, according to Thomas Aquinas, are habits, instincts, or dispositions provided, provided by God as supernatural helps to man in the process of his perfection. 
They enable man to transcend the limitations of human reason and human nature and participate in the very life of God as Christ promised. Aquinas insisted that they are necessary for man's salvation, which he cannot achieve on his own. They serve to perfect the four cardinal or moral, moral virtues, prudence, justice, fortitude, and temperance, and the three theological virtues, hope, faith, and charity. The virtue of charity is the key that unlocks the potential power of the seven gifts, which can and will lie dormant in the soul after baptism, unless so acted upon. Well, that's important, folks, right there. Listen to this. You know, these are upheld by the by the um by the moral virtues. It makes sense, seven of them. And I want to get to the gifts of the Holy Spirit because I know we're on our last leg of our show here. But the virtue of charity is the key to unlocking them. Charity is the virtue of love, right? And I said the Holy Spirit is really love personified. That's what it comes down to. Um, pretty intense, uh, if you think about it, but yet works so subtly. But they lie dormant in the soul after baptism. They are given to us at baptism, uh, but they're sealed in the in the sacrament of confirmation. The thing is, if we don't use them, it's just not going to make sense. But let's look at them. Let's look at the seven gifts. Let's just name them first, and then let's go one by one. I'm going to go ahead and put a link to this article for anybody who wants to go back and take a look at these. But let's not forget, when it comes to Pentecost Sunday and year-round, we need to tap into this, folks. We need to look at these gifts and see How's the Holy Spirit going to work in my life? Because it's not about me, ultimately. It's about God working through us. So the seven gifts, wisdom, understanding, counsel, fortitude, knowledge, piety, and fear of God. Let's go through one of them. Fear of God actually is a really good one. Let's look at that one first. Normally we start with wisdom, but let's look at fear of God first because I get a lot of questions uh, with regard to what does it mean to have fear of God versus what does it mean to be afraid of God? Well, let's look at what it says. Fear of God is filial or chaste fear, whereby we revere God and avoid separating ourselves from him, as opposed to servile fear, whereby whereby we fear punishment. So these are the two different things. To be afraid of something, not to have fear of something. To be afraid of something usually means punishment. I'm afraid of doing that because I don't want the consequences. I'm afraid of something happening because I don't want the consequences in my life. That's to be afraid. That's that kind of fear versus a respectful fear of God where I'm afraid to be away from God, meaning that I fear God, meaning that I respect God. I respect God so much and what he has to say in his commandments that I don't want to hurt God in any way. I fear being away from God. There's the big difference. I'm not afraid of God punishment, punishing me. I'm a, I, I'm afraid of being away from God. That's the fear of God, of saying the respect for God. It's kind of like when, you know, your peers want you to do something bad and you got that peer pressure going on and you say, gosh, you know, I, I'm afraid that they might make fun of me or that they might, I might, might not be part of the group, but I'd rather do the right thing and not do drugs or not get involved in things I shouldn't get involved in. Yeah, I'm afraid I'm going to lose some friends, but I fear what's going to happen as a consequence of doing something bad. I don't want to get drugs in my body. I don't want to, you know, go down that that road of drug addiction just because to make some people happy. That's really the fear of God. It's I don't want to break the commandments because that's going to hurt God. And God's more important to me than anything else. It's that healthy respect. It's kind of like if somebody tells you to betray your best friend or something, or they start gossiping about your friend and you're like, no, no, I'm going to defend my friend. I'm not going to betray them. They're my friend. I'm not going to hurt them. I have a loyalty to them. 
that's where the fear of God comes in. It's my loyalty to, to God is so strong that I don't want to hurt God. I don't want to be separated from him. That's the fear of God. I respect God and I'm going to do whatever he tells me. I'm going to follow him to the full extent possible because my love for God is greater than anything else. That's what comes from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's the, who lets us know, hey, love God above all else. Here are the Ten Commandments, but I'm going to help you fulfill the Ten Commandments. I'm going to help you have that fear of God, that respect for God. So I think that that's an important one. Because a lot of people always say, you know, gosh, what's the difference between being afraid of God and being afraid of the devil? You know, you can't even compare it. Fear of God, you know, is respecting, is having that respect for God. Being afraid of God is saying, well, I don't want to go to hell. So God is like my default. I'll make, I'll make heaven and God my plan B because my plan A is to not go to hell. So by default, I'll go to plan B. It's the other way around. Fear of God is saying plan A is God and everything else is second. So I hope that kind of brings something to that. Uh, not necessarily something that I would say was particularly uh, pertinent to the case that I had with that patient, but you know, putting God first in our lives is good. All right, let's go back to the top here. Wisdom. Wisdom is both the knowledge knowledge of and judgment about divine things and the ability to judge and direct human affairs according to divine truth. I would dare say the Holy Spirit gave me a whole lot of wisdom. I was able to direct a human affair in that situation according to divine truth. And what was the divine truth in this case? The last thing this gentleman needed in my office was to be drugged off to the hospital and made to feel even less important, you know, even less like he mattered. Remember, that was the whole source of his loneliness. He was really lonely. He wasn't, he wasn't going through a clinical depression. He was depressed, but he didn't need medication. It was, it's hard to explain. It's one of those things where you kind of need to be there, but he was really, really lonely. And once he found that human connection, his life changed. And I don't know that he would have found that in the hospital. That was God inspiring me and saying, hey, directing human affairs, really, that's the Holy Spirit telling me, this is the truth of the situation. This man just kind of needs a friendly voice. He needs you to be supportive. I would not have seen that otherwise. I was not blinded by the knife in front of me. The Holy Spirit allowed me to say, hey, let's change the direction of the situation. Well, what about understanding? What's the difference between wisdom and understanding? So wisdom, being able to direct, direct human affairs, understanding says, understanding is pertaining, pen, excuse me, penetrating insight into the very heart of things, especially those higher truths that are necessary for our eternal salvation. In effect, the ability to see God. So wisdom said it was the ability to judge and direct human affairs. Understanding is the ability to see God himself. Meaning this is really, it comes down to a kind of right from wrong, right? The insight into, into being able to see in our heart, the heart of things, especially higher truths. So what are higher truths? Higher truths are morality. You know what? It's not appropriate to wear certain outfits or it's not appropriate to um, conduct ourselves in a certain way. Why? Because now this is where the question of fear of God comes in. It kind of comes back into play. Where, do, where does it come to uh, in terms of, is this going to hurt God or not? Is this going to lead me closer to heaven or not? What does this mean for morality? Uh, what does this mean for my understanding of getting to heaven? What does this mean for what is it that God wants? I would say understanding really is more like just because I can do something doesn't mean I should do something, almost like a prudence. Um, I understand what the situation is. I understand how this is going to affect God. And I don't want to hurt God at all. That's pretty important. You know, that that kind of, once we have that in place, I could see how understanding fear of God and wisdom are going to be tied in. If I understand the things of God, I'm going to guide my human affairs with wisdom. 
in that direction because I have that fear of God once I understand him. That's pretty important. Let's look at counsel. Counsel allows a man to be directed by God in matters necessary for his salvation. So I would think, gosh, counsel, that's right up my alley, right? I'm, I'm, I do psychiatry. I give counsel to people. But this is a little bit different. This is God's counsel. Remember, this is coming from the Holy Spirit now. It's all of a sudden we're in the Holy Spirit's clinic. We're walking in and we're coming into the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's going to give me some medicine here, some spiritual medicine. And counsel is one of the prescriptions. And what is counsel? It's going to be one of those situations where I wonder, am I saved or not? Am I in the state of grace or not? Is this, you know, we, we ask ourselves that all the time. How do I know I'm going to heaven? I'm doing the right things, but do I truly know I'm going to heaven? We might not exactly know if we're going to heaven or not. We might not have that understanding for ourselves, but the gift of counsel allows us to be directed by God in matters necessary for our salvation. Is this going to lead me to heaven or not? That's that understanding that's going to come from counsel. Let's look at fortitude. Fortitude denotes a firmness of mind in doing good and in avoiding evil, particularly when it is difficult or dangerous to do so, and the confidence to overcome all obstacles, even deadly ones, by virtue of the assurance of everlasting life. So let's read that one again. That one's pretty, that one's pretty heavy. Fortitude denotes a firmness of mind. So we're going to have a strong mindset, okay, in doing good and avoiding evil. So already, we got to know the difference between good and evil, but we've got to have a strong mindset as to which direction do we go in. And that's where fortitude comes in. So it's a strongness, a firmness. Let's see, particularly when it is difficult or dangerous to do so. This to me speaks a little bit about um, peer pressure, speaks to me a little bit about when is it difficult to do good or when is it dangerous to do so. If you're in a situation, I think of the martyrs, you know, this is where fortitude really comes in. When anybody's being challenged or told that if they, you know, don't denounce their faith, they're going to be killed. And they say, okay, well, you're just going to have to kill me. That's fortitude. You know, when people are faced with, hey, reject uh, Jesus Christ or say that he's not God, that's fortitude right there. If somebody holds out and says, well, you're going to have to kill me on that one because there's no way I'm going to turn God down. So that's an important one. Two more gifts here at the end of the show. Uh, knowledge, the ability to judge correctly about matters of faith and right action, so as to never wander from the straight path of justice. That's an important one. We never want to wander from the straight path of justice. That's knowledge. Now, piety. Piety is revering God with affection, paying worship and duty to God, paying due duty uh, to all men on account of their relationship to God. Piety is really an understanding of the world with relationship to God. God comes first, and from there, we're going to have an understanding of how to love ourselves, how to love our neighbors, but more importantly, how to love God. We have these gifts. They've been given to us. They came to us at baptism. They're sealed with the gift of the Holy Spirit at confirmation. The question is, do we use them? And that, my friends, is something I want us to think about, something I want us to do between now and forever. Let's look at the gifts of the Holy Spirit and use them in our lives. 